Hello and welcome to Fraggle Talk Classic, the unofficial Fraggle Rock podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. My name is Beth and I am re-watching for the millionth time. My name is Julia and I'm re-watching for the first time in 10 years. My name is Adam and I'm watching it for the first time ever. And we have a special guest with us today. It's me! I'm J.D. Hansel. I'm a writer for Tough Pigs. Hello! And I'm re-watching Fraggle Rock, sort of, in bits and pieces, as I feel like it, so I can read along with the reviews on Tough Pigs and listen to this podcast. Most episodes for the first time in over 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Haven't, haven't seen it too much since I was a kid, but I'm struck by just how much of it has really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. This is just one of those things that really sticks in my brain. How has it been just kind of like popping in and out of like just random episodes? What's that feel like? For the most part, it's about what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's odd. So much of this is how I remember it. And I don't know why my memory is good for just keeping track of what happens in Fraggle Rock and not much else. <laughs> I mean, evolutionarily, we're trained to remember well-told stories. Mm. Hey. Well, there you go. That's just science. That's it. And that's what it's like. It's like evolution. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fraggle Rock is evolution. Sure. That'll be the third podcast, Fraggle Rock Evolution. Ooh. Wow. Do they all, like, turn into cyborgs in that or something? Ooh. I would watch the heck out of that. Cyborgs and mutants. Like a Transformers Fraggle Rock mashup. Oh, man. I was thinking more uh, Fraggle Rock Pokemon mashup. Oh. But <laughs> why not all three? I don't know why I went to Transformers. It's okay. We just have to go. Our, our listeners are going to make a fanfic with all three of those and then send it to us and it's going to be beautiful. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Great. Did you want more or better information than that? What? I wasn't sure if that was the full introduction for me to start saying all of my things or if that was just the hello and then you had more to say. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, we could also add that you also host the Great Muppet Fandom Panel. Am I? Yep. What's... That's okay. correct. It's a long name, but that is it. That is yes. it. The Great Muppet Fandom Panel. Also for Tough Pigs, and I write some of the reviews that you'll see if you're keeping track of the Fraggle Rock episode reviews on Tough Pigs as well. Yes. Awesome. So I will freely admit to, uh, I pulled at Adam and I started watching the wrong episode. Oh no! <laughs> oh, oh we're, we're, we're naming this one after me now. Okay, no, I see it. I see. I see how it I is. I mean, it's it, truly, it was an incredible moment sitting there listening, going, wait a second. Why... Why are they talking about something that I didn't think was in this episode? What's happening? Oh, no. Oh, no. I know what happened. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you can hear the growing anxiety in my voice in the episode. But yes, amazing. he pulled to me and listened to the wrong one. Uh, I only got a few minutes in. It was when they started singing Catch a Tail by the Tiger that I was like, oh, this is the episode, Catch a Tail by the Tiger, which is not the one we're talking about. We are talking about... <laughs> Episode 110, Don't Cry Over Spilt Milk. See, see, and you had to bring it up because until you said the name of the title, I suddenly got really worried that I'd done it again. Ah. <laughs> uh. So did I. I. I also worried that I'd booked the wrong guest for the wrong episode, that I'd accidentally booked JD for Catch a Tail by the Tiger and, and someone else for, for Don't Cry Over Spilt Milk. And I was about to be like, well, they're just going to have to deal with it and talk about the episode that we're talking about. But no, it's all good. It's all good. Executive function is thin on the ground. Sorry, so I'm not supposed to be talking about convincing John in this episode? <laughs> I mean, you can. Okay. I've talked about He's it enough. He's a cool character. 
<laughs> I'm good. I've written about it enough, but I can always just read what I've written. Honestly, here's the thing about this show, though. If I had to think of more things to say about any given episode of Fraggle Rock, with enough time with it, I could. Sure. There's always more mm -hmm. you can do with oh, this. Oh, absolutely. Like, they put... The, the Fraggle Rock's great accomplishment within the Muppet pantheon is that it's probably their most thoughtful show by leaps and bounds. And within a 23-minute episode, they can pack a ton of different ideas and a ton of different approaches to those ideas. And this episode that we're going to talk about is jam-packed with thoughts, and it's the shortest one. Yeah, I read that on uh, Muppet Wiki that this is the shortest episode of the entire show's run. Yeah. You, you wouldn't think so, because it's no. doing a heck of a lot. And I, I can't, perhaps I'm jumping the gun, but I can't totally decide if that means that the episode is messy and just all over the place, or if it's really sophisticated. I don't see why it can't be both, but also I'm biased as a fan of Adventure Time. Okay, see, and I don't have much experience with Adventure Time. It is also very messy and very intentional. Okay. Maybe, is there, is that a whole podcast idea in and of itself? Like, watch an episode of Adventure Time, watch an episode of Fraggle Rock, read a chapter of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> oh, no. No, I do want to start a, a an Adventure Time podcast, but that is that that is a future Adam problem. <laughs> um, I did have a, a question actually. I was watching if we're if we're good to get into the episode. Yeah. Uh, I realized the Gorgs clearly live above ground. Mm -hmm. Do we ever see them interacting with humans? Is that ever even touched on? Is that acknowledged? Nope. Uh, asked and answered. There it is. Yeah, we we have to presume that they are in some sort of alternate dimension that you can, like, you know, the Fraggles can reach outer space through the hole in Doc's workshop, and they can reach the Gorg's garden through the... A different hole. Magic different of the hole. trash heap. <laughs> but, but they do not... Uh, they do not interact with each other, yeah. Yeah, it, Fascinating. It's, there's no room for Gorgs on planet Earth. That's the problem. They take up too much space. Well, I was going to say, That's like, fair. you know, Fraggles can, like, come and go from outer space, and they're so small. I mean, people do acknowledge Uncle Matt occasionally, but a lot of the times he goes unseen. Whereas I yeah. feel like it would be really hard for humans to not be like, what is this thing that is towering over me with a giant club and is now bashing me over the head with the club? It, you know. It'd be harder to hide a Gorg. It would be much harder to hide a Gorg. <laughs> They're also not the type of people to hide. Gorgs would be like, oh, more people, give us your stuff. Yeah. Oh, no, you're fighting us. No, bad. Yeah. The Gorgs seem to exist in their own little pocket dimension, or it's like some sort of Narnia situation. It's odd. Like, Fraggle Rock seems to exist simultaneously in our world and also in this other magical world. It's at this kind of intersection. And personally, I like that you cannot make it make sense, but it's very confident in whatever substitute for logic it's following. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it is one of those things where it doesn't necessarily make logical sense, but within its suspension of disbelief, it is internally consistent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're, have you done a Fraggle Rock podcast before? Because you're a pro at this. I just like talking about things and analyzing them a lot, and then they give me a microphone. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I feel so similarly. Hey. So we, we open with this Doc and Sprocket segment where Doc is blowing one of those. Okay, 
what what did what did you all call this before Doc started talking about? Hey, we don't have a name for this thing. If you had it's to called refer a party to this horn. thing, party favor. That's what it's called. It's called a party horn. A party horn. I've always called it a party favor. I've always called it a noisemaker. Or a noisemaker. That's that too. Noisemaker also worked. I think usually it's called a party blower. That's oh. or so I thought, and I think I've I've seen it list like listed that way before on on the packaging. But it's something that I've always thought about because I don't think. I knew of any name for it or had given it much thought until I watched this episode because I saw this when I was like 11 or 12. Exactly. That makes a very big difference. So for me, these have always been, even though this word is not in this episode, these have always been swoop foomers to me. Hmm. It's very telling of the version of... That's the name that he eventually decides on, even though he Mm -hmm. pitches a bunch of different ones in this episode and none, none of them seem to stick. Uh, but he he will eventually land on Swoop Foomers. So I must have seen that episode or read the Muppet Wiki article about this episode very early. That's what I've always thought they were for me. And it's very telling of the kind of Muppet fandom that I have. That for me, being a fan of something means you latch on to language that will isolate you from the rest of humanity <laughs> and make it harder for you to form connections with others rather than easier. <sighs> It's just the way I am. I, I latch on to the extreme nerdiness of things. Yeah, try and use the word belubious in polite society. It's not going to happen. Makes it easier to signal to other people which fandoms you're in so that you can connect with them easier. Yeah. I was going to say, Very I wouldn't true. necessarily say it's an isolation as much as it is a specialization. Mm. This is true, assuming that most Muppet fans would know what you mean when you say swoop foomer, and I'm not sure that that many other people were keeping track <laughs> of this. But I... Well, well, I know we've barely begun the episode, but while we're on this topic, (laughs) I have gone looking for these online in the past. And very often, if you're trying to find one of these party blowers or noisemakers or whatever you want to call them, you end up looking for the wrong kind of noisemaker or you get one that's not that doesn't make a sound. That seems to be the most Mm. common version of this is one that makes no sound, which makes sense for children's parties where children would just be making nonstop annoying noise. So I tried to find one that I could have specifically for this episode so I could make annoying noises throughout this show. And (laughs) online, they're all pretty, like, poorly rated for the most part, unless you Mm. buy an enormous package. Like, unless you get 100 swoop foomers, which they they do sell them in 100 packs, it's very difficult to get one where the reviews don't all just say it broke immediately. So I think we can call that a business expense, right? Yeah, I felt the same way. So I bought 100 swoop foomers. And um, <laughs> are you serious? Oh, my God. Um, Glorious. Let's see. What are you going to do with those? Oh, my. That's so many. It's I mean, so step many. one, use them to make annoying noises on a podcast. Step two. Uh. I haven't tested them yet. Plan an, an in-person Tough Pigs get-together where we can all blow the swoop foomers together. This is my thinking. <laughs> oh, no, it's already broken. There we go. Well, luckily, you have 99 more to that test was also This was also part of my 99 thinking. 99 swoop foomers there in the box. 99 swoop foomers there. No matter how many You take broken, one down, it doesn't make sound. 98 swoop foomers left in the box. There we go. Thank you. Now, so I will say this, these, as I said, these do come up again later in the series. They come up in an important episode of the series. Yes. So 
I think these should come up. The, these that I'm holding should come up again. So I will happily send some to you since I have too many. Or you can have me on that episode if you want. Either way is fine. We'll talk about it afterwards. We'll sort something out. Excellent. This may not be the right decision based on the fact that I have just adopted a new living situation, but please do send me some. Oh, yeah. I would like Absolutely. that very we'll much. We'll talk. We'll make it happen. Alrighty. So, as you've just heard, the sound that these things make is not the sound that they make in the episode. I don't yeah. know what sound we're hearing coming out of these devices in the show. It's not this. And speaking of weird sounds, the music at the be- at the very beginning, even before this part with Doc and Sprocket starts, is totally different from the background music in the rest of the show. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's like this very flute-driven 70s grocery store music. I did not notice. Which is the style you hear all, all throughout the background music for this, like in the Uncle Matt postcard segment, all of it, it's in the transitional music. I don't think we hear this much again in the show, oh. in, like in the series overall. I clocked that the transitional music was different for a lot of the the scenes coming into and out of the Gobo scenes, mm-hmm. but I assumed that that was just to sort of highlight that like stuff was, stakes have been raised, and I have some stuff about that in my notes when we get to that particular part of the plot. It's different all throughout, and I think it's because this was the second episode that they made. That was going to be my guess as well. Ah. Yeah, it's yeah. still very early on. At, at risk of talking too much and taking over the beginning of this episode, I will I will shut up shortly so that you can keep moving, because you've barely gotten through the first few seconds of the episode, and it is my fault. <laughs> um, just to lay out my general idea for how this episode works, for what it's getting at. Yeah. We know that this was the second episode of Fraggle Rock that they shot, Mm -hmm. so I'm inclined to think that this was one of the first ones the writers wrote. Most of the episode is them establishing a lot of the important information about how this show works for new viewers, and I like how it gives the audience a good sense of Fraggle writer philosophy, like just how the Fraggle Rock writers think and how they will continue to think about things throughout this show, and I'll explore that a little more later. But along with that, I think the writers are reflecting on the whole creative process that goes into taking on a new project like this, a new project like bringing something like this to life. What I suggest Mm. everybody listening do when they watch this episode is try to pay attention to all the different ways that the characters show all the creative mindsets that have to be employed or can be employed to bring a show like Fraggle Rock into existence. That's my take. I'll... I'll build on this further at the appropriate times. But now I'm going to I'm going to shut up. I apologize for taking over too much. Oh, my. Oh, wow. No, hold on. The symbolism of that is perfect because the final moment is literally them putting a puppet through a wall. (laughs) This is true. Literally, the final moment is them having a puppet emerge from where there was no puppet before. That's slick. Just wait. We'll we'll unpack more of this later. You're in for a time. How much time do you all have? Right, so Doc is playing with this uh, party horn, swoop foomer, swoop foomer, mm-hmm. <laughs> and suggests that you know it's something that everybody knows and everybody's played with, but it doesn't have a name. It isn't that fascinating, and Sprocket does not care. Well, but sorry, Sprocket is asleep, <laughs> and Doc wakes him up to talk about this opportunity, which is leading me to another Doc take care of your dog moment, which I feel like we need like a stinger or something, but. Dude, let your dog sleep. Yeah. Dog's taking a nap. You wouldn't want you. you, I guarantee you, Doc, if Sprocket woke you up from a nap, you would be grumpy and you would complain. Yeah. And like, I feel like every episode I've got to bring up because I work with dogs, what you should not do with dogs. And if you have like a noisemaker, you shouldn't be like blowing it in their face, like making loud noises when they are trying to sleep because that's going to scare them and stress them out. And dogs will do, you know, 
wild things when they are stressed and scared. So don't do that hmm. to your pup. That's also not a dog thing. If you blew a swoop boomer into my face while I was sleeping, it would stress me out too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're still in the era of Doc is pretty terrible to Sprocket generally, and their relationship isn't ideal, and I feel like it gets better. Am I misremembering that? Is that my nostalgia goggles? We will find out along okay. this journey. So we All shall. Right. <laughs> In the meantime, they are excitedly going to pick up the letter from Traveling Matt, and I realized this is another thing I hadn't commented on. There's actual, like, steam and fog maker in that set design from the pipes, and that's a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Adds to the immersion something fierce. It's good. There's also a puppetry shot where we kind of see Gobo's lower half. Like, we don't see the puppeteer's arm, but we definitely see a lot longer of a torso than we normally do. And it gave me a moment of like, oh, Gobo is long cat or long furby. (laughs) (laughs) Gobo looks a little odd in this one. I'm noticing his eye mechanism a lot in this, and I have never clocked that Gobo has an eye mechanism. But I think it's only in this early version of the puppet. Yeah, he got a redesign. There's also definitely a really cool shot where they're, like, rotating around Gobo and some boxes. And, like, Doc and Sprocket are clearly green screened, but, like, the immersion is still fantastic because it genuinely looks like they're moving around in a 3D space as a puppet. Um, It's fascinating to me, and I had not known this, that this was the second episode that they ever wrote. Because to me, like, placing it where they did in the series means that the, like, Again, so Gobo goes out, he's going to get the uh, letter from Traveling Matt, but then Doc blows the swoop boomer and like then throws it and it winds up landing in the hole and he can't find it. And he's like, oh, well, let's finally nail this up. And for me, that felt like an immediate raising of stakes and like a breaking of the pattern that had been set yeah. with the like the nine. Ep- I haven't seen two of the nine episodes for watching this out of orders, but it really felt. And again. Mark your bingo card, listener. This is Adam (laughs) referencing Adventure Time again. It really felt like the moment in Adventure Time where you first meet the Lich and you're like, oh, there are stakes here. Oh, this this is not the usual pattern. Oh, things. Oh, that's not how this usually goes. Oh, dear. Yeah, it is. It is true that it feels like a big change. And that's probably why they decided to uh, release it later in the series. It's especially a big change because surprisingly doc is taking action on this thing whereas it felt Mm -hmm. like he would just never take action but for what it's worth if memory serves he never takes action on it again after this like some part of his brain decided he had done this and that was it he would never remember to try again same i mean he he does board it up in this episode and they they unboard it obviously and you would think that he would notice the boards have come off because when he is like down there boarding it up i was like oh it is a huge hole he goes five seasons with this huge hole in his workshop and is like it's fine you know you know and i i i have adhd i forget to do things all of the time but that one seems like a pretty big deal you know you know what it is i bet he's renting Oh, yeah. It's not his responsibility. I mean, I'll say this. I've got some pretty big piles around me that have managed to last for a long time, like a long time unmanaged. So I don't know that the size of things necessarily has that big of an impact. But 
I see what you're saying. It is weird, but it's also very convenient for the show that he doesn't try this much in the future. Right. Indeed, indeed. It is It is very convenient. Um, and just on the topic of this being the second episode, so not to jump too far ahead, but I clocked that it was an early episode because of when Red and Wimbley are going into the Gorg's Garden. The way we, We've talked in previous episodes how they kind of like are almost always reintroducing the idea of the Gorgs. But in this one, it was like, it felt very strongly like they were being like, the Gorgs live here and we got to go this way to get to the trash heap. And I was like, is this? And then I went to Muppet Wiki and I was like, yeah, this was a, a really early episode. And so that's that's where I personally clocked it. Yeah, Red is sort of explaining, well, we can go to the trash heap to get wisdom and knowledge to Wembley as though Wembley doesn't, as though yeah. Wembley doesn't know. And yeah, Wembley's right. like, well, the bad part is that she's so scary, which is an idea they, I think, dropped pretty quickly, that the Fraggles are super intimidated by the trash heap. They continue to revere her, but I don't think they fear her much past the first season. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and it would make sense for Wembley and or Boober to be a little more scared of her than the others. But also, you know, a couple episodes back, we had Wembley go into her for mm -hmm. advice on how to pick a job. Right. Yeah, I had a moment where I was like, is this the first time Wembley's going to see the trash heap? And then I nope. remembered that that's very much not the case. <laughs> yes <Nope>. and no. <laughs> yes and no, exactly. Sweet. So Wembley gives this amazing scream and runs to go get help. <laughs> like a pause. Uh, yes. He processes it for a while. The gears are turning. The gears are turning. Then the scream. It's perfect. Wembley's a great actor. <laughs> Indeed. And Gobo, much to his credit, is absolutely confident. You know, Wembley will go get help and my friends will save me. Mm -hmm. And he is right. But oh, man, do they get uh, a little sidetracked. Mm -hmm. Indeed they do. Indeed they do. Uh Wembley makes it back, and we have this glorious line who's like, oh, it's terrible. They boarded him up. They covered it up. And they're like, well, there's only thing one, one thing we can do. Sing about it. Yeah. Like, oh, buddy. <laughs> what? It's early in the show, and they are establishing the way that Fraggles think. And they approach everything with music. Yeah. They do. And it was, it was very much one of those where I was like, oh, this is funny. And then I was like, oh, no, you're processing your feelings about this so that you can go into it level-headedly. Also, just like... And it, again, I've just been having a rough couple of days, but with every time they went, I feel so bad in my head, I went, yeah, me too, dude. Me too. <laughs> and Boober's given the little echoes where he just says bad in a very monotone voice. <laughs> it's the best. Feel so bad, which is the song that happens here that they all start singing, shows how the songwriters understand music on a deeper level than me. Mm -hmm. Like they recognize that bad feelings in music are generally expressed with the blues but the blues are also part of the DNA of gospel music, so it takes very little for this song to transform into something very vibrant and joyful. Mm. Yeah. Just a slight change with almost all of it staying exactly the same. Like, it just picks up a little, has a different energy, and it's the most fun song you've ever heard after it felt really bad just a few seconds earlier. Mm -hmm. Incredibly impressive thoughtfulness all around. I was going to say, well, and then they also, they have the puppets, like, comment on it. They're like, oh, well, that didn't work. Singing about us being sad was way too fun. And I was like, ha, ha, hey. <laughs> yeah, they just forgot to feel depressed. Wouldn't we all like to just forget to do that sometimes? Oh, yeah. Also, I don't, and y'all behind the scenes folk will know this better than I do. Is there a specific drummer that they usually have? Because whoever was drumming when that one puppet was drumming on the mu mushroom was going off. That dude was going to town. It was so good. 
I took a screenshot of that, not for the drummer, but for the drum set, because it looks like something straight out of a Dr. Seuss book. And I, I love that. So, so this was something that the tome talked about is that, you know, they had to. The tome. The tome. <laughs> We've become like the aliens in Toy Story. The claw. Oh, that's where that voice is from. Dang it. All right. Fair. Anyways, please continue. Um, talking about how any objects that they introduce into this world have to look like they could conceivably have been made out of the organic materials available to the Fraggles. And so you've got this drum set looking like it was made out of like big bulbous like gourds and tubers and flowers and whatnot. Yeah. No, not whatnots. There are no whatnots in Fraggle Rock. Those are in the Muppet Show. <laughs> right. oh, I apologize. Man. No whatnots. But I like this part of the episode, in part because it's, again, getting back to my idea about the creative process. While this is a weaker example of it, it does show them immediately going on a tangent. Like, they're <laughs> at first, they're dealing with their thoughts and feelings about the problem. It quickly goes to a tangent, and they would just keep going down that road if not for someone reminding them, Hey, remember what we started with? Remember what we were supposed to be doing here? Which happens in just about any good group collaboration. Absolutely. And immediately they say, we got to work together. And then they split immediately and split. go off in, in their own different directions that are all exemplifying different general approaches to problem solving. So Boober tries to confront it directly, weirdly. Yeah. That's odd for him, but yeah, whatever. I, felt that, I thought it was out of character for him, too. They're still figuring him out. But in this episode, the guy who takes problems seriously, and and I, I like that. I like the idea that the person who is a worrier will understand the gravity of things, uh -huh. even when other people don't, which is a very Fraggle Rock thing to see two sides to every personality trait. Mm -hmm. And so here we see Boober less as someone who, who hides in fear and more someone who focuses directly on whatever the dreadful thing is, which I kind of like. Well, I also love that, like... His solution is to go to the edge and then just start yelling for help. Yes. <laughs> Which is like, all right, I'm going to go all the way here. And then somebody, right. somebody else. Someone so else do something. Boober's approach is to go into it directly without actually having a plan. And then he doesn't know what else to do but ask for help. While Red immediately goes after information. Mm -hmm. Moki says that she needs to think about it. She takes some time to reflect on the problem before taking further steps. So these are all different ways... Oh, but most of the main ways that one could approach this just without reflection without getting information you go right for it and there's nothing you can do but ask for help because you didn't have a plan or you go get information or you just take some time to think it over or some combination of those things fascinating those are a lot of your options for creative problem solving and creative problem solving is exactly what all of the creators of this show are in the middle of right now as they're trying to figure out all of these characters and quickly bring this new show to life. I feel like there's a lot of rumination about what it is that they're doing going into uh, every part of the every part of this episode and every part of the characters trying to figure out what the heck they are going to do to sort out their mess. Again, I'll build on this further. This this is maybe one of the weaker examples, but I'll get there. I will get interesting by the end of this episode. I promise. I will get no, interesting. I love it. It's already oh, I'm interesting. Fascinated. This is the level of analysis that I usually run all the stuff through, and I completely did not key into this, so thank you for that. I'm trying. Um, I also wanted to comment, 
we do get a little bit of a scene where Gobo's like trying to sneak his way through and he's just kind of solid snaking it under a box. Yes. And the Jaws theme comes through. It's a great touch. I was wondering how they did that in puppeteering terms. And the only hypothesis I have is like, you know, those like Bugs Bunny or Tom and Jerry cartoons where someone is on roller skates and then someone is on the floor beneath them and they're moving them around with a magnet. How, how did they do There's this? There's a hole in the back of the box. Oh. But we don't see anyone behind it. Well, it's just the arm. Oh, okay. There's so a the reason he's always bent there. down, and yeah. that's because the arm is going in and down. Okay. I like the magnet idea, and I would not put it past them to use magnets in this, and I suspect they probably use a magnet later when the rock goes flying through the air and lands right in front of Boober between that his was arms. Good. Unless they did a (laughs) billion takes, they probably had some magnet in there to help it land in the right spot. Or they did a billion takes. I wouldn't put it past them either way. Also, Docs decides to, in this interim, turn the swoop thumper? Uh, Swoop foomer. It's it's totally okay that you don't know that word yet because they they haven't said it yet in this episode and they won't say it in this episode. Fair. He turns it into a, uh, a a horrible one-note instrument, and Gobo takes a second to do a little dance. He's a little jig, like he sees little feet under the box just dancing around. I'm like, it's legit sweet. He's like, you know what? I'm scared. I'm stressed. I don't know what I'm going to do, but there's music, so I'm going to dance. I'm like, I love that. Oh, yeah. what he, he says, like, even a fraggle in trouble likes good music, and it's a really sweet moment, but at the same time, it's like, it's is it good music, Gobo? Nope. <laughs> nope. It sounds sort of like this. Hey. With more of a quacky sound to it. Yeah. More Much quackier. Yeah. Yes. So I, I looked very up weird. the uh, stand-up comedy bit from years ago that this moment reminded me of, and a lot of it doesn't hold up well, so I'm not going to say who the comedian is, but nah. the concept of a dance threshold <laughs> still holds up very well, that there are some people yes, who, have, I know that yeah, bit. who have a very high dance threshold like it takes like the grooviest music ever in the history of the world to get them to even move a little bit and some people have a very low dance threshold wherein it just takes any music and they start swaying and like they could be having a totally serious conversation of like yeah no the doctor told me it's malignant and they're just grooving around fraggles have a very low dance threshold that's true they they gotta sing about everything they even addressed that earlier in the episode just any kind of music brings that out of them I also have a very low dance threshold. <laughs> I have a very high one. Ext- through <laughs> the dang roof. In any case, when Gobo uh, remarks on sneaking over to get the hammer, it's one of many moments in this episode when he seems to address the camera directly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed that, and I can't tell how many other early episodes have that. Yeah, Boober gets one too in this episode. Yeah, Boober does it later when he kind of turns to the camera and says, not much of a plan, is it? Hmm. I... I think it was hard a hard pattern for the henson team to break Mm. this takes to the camera thing since it's a fixture of everything the muppets had done before going back to salmon friends to this day if you learn puppetry from the pros they focus a lot on teaching you how to stare down the barrel of the lens with your puppet that makes fraggle rock kind of a weird production in the muppet world and makes it surprising that they were ever able to combine fraggles and sesame muppets in the same production years later without it feeling like something was wrong. Like, Fraggles are this odd break from the whole logic of Muppet performance up until this point by ignoring the camera, even though that's what Muppets are for. 
And it's part of the rethinking process that went into the whole show, just the reinvention of the wheel of what a Muppet show can be. And that attitude of reinventing the wheel is a lot of what you see Doc doing throughout this mm -hmm. episode. He's taking something simple that everybody took for granted at a time when, after the success of The Muppet Show, all the creators of, of, of this show were kind of taking The Muppets for granted. Like, yeah, they, they've been doing the same variety show stuff since 1955. We know what they do. They look at the camera and they sing songs or, you know, whatever. And now they're having to think about world building. Like, creating an entire fantasy world with its own logic to it and, like, different species with different classes and arguably different roles in the economy, depending on who you ask. <laughs> and I think that what you see in Doc, that's one of his great qualities, is he'll take a simple thing that everybody else takes for granted and rethink it and say, what are some silly names for this? And by this point, when after they've made a show like Fraggle Rock, most of Jerry Jewell's job for the past year up until this point was thinking of silly names for any design that is passed <laughs> to him. Like just trying to think of anything else that has a G or a K or an OO sound that can sound silly and goofy. And I betcha this script is, th this whole plot line is just using up some of the silly ideas for names for species that didn't have another place anywhere else I love in the that show. Idea. That would that's really uh -huh. cool, actually. That's really slick. They just they're that that's my guess. But I like watching Doc take a simple silly thing and turn it into a complicated silly thing and just build and not take any of it for granted and see so much potential. It, like to the point that he's immediately calling up a, a like a symphony maestro or something saying i've got this amazing new instrument it doesn't <laughs> sound good yet but uh, hello <laughs> hello ah it's great like he's so confident in the way that he is rethinking this thing in a very creative like scientifically innovative and artistically innovative way much like all of fraggle rock with its animatronics and stuff is both of those at once that he's right away calling up a maestro saying this is it this is the new thing this is great and does his passion pay off it does for him maybe yeah, that's enough exactly like he's doing all of this in a way that was not externally asked for in any way he was just following his own weird impulses and having fun with it mm -hmm. yep which we've seen from doc before at this point in the show yeah you know he's just fo yeah. constantly following his passions as a tinkerer and an inventor so um I would love to get back on track with the plot, but before we do, uh, there's a great bit as uh, Boober is walking to the gate where he goes, I wish I'd remember to wear my lucky orange socks. And I was like, ha ha, that's a good puppetry joke. You don't have legs right now. <laughs> <laughs> Made me laugh. See, I was thinking what a incredibly niche cosplay someone could do of Boober with all of his lucky things, like wearing... Orange socks, carrying a flower pot, carrying a walkie stick, uh, having his lucky blanket draped over his shoulders. He has so many lucky objects. Mm. Actually, I would think even though you wouldn't be able to see the feet, this version of the Boober puppet might still have the feet. Because for whatever reason with the Fraggles, they very rarely didn't have the feet. But this we is beside the, the point. We do see the feet quite a lot. Mm. Yeah. We do. It's a very Muppet feet heavy production. <laughs> Compared to all of the other mm -hmm. Muppet productions. Oh, I was I was just going to say they go to uh, the trash heap and we get to cut to the trash heap before they arrive. And she's going to drink some milk, but she spills it, which leads me to once again, Adam going down a far too deep of a bio biological rabbit hole. Does Marjorie have a metabolism? Oh, 
Does she consume things for sustenance? Does she just do it for the taste? Is she just, as a trash heap, adding milk to herself so that there's more stench and rot? To what end does she have a cup of milk? I was coming at it from an ecological standpoint of this here and a couple episodes earlier when Moki says that she wants to get a cheese for her still life painting are the only, I think, are the only non-vegan foods we hear mentioned in the entire series. Huh. Which leads me to think, is this maybe like a, a, a milk substitute? Like, uh, you know, we're making milk out of almonds and oats and whatnot. Do they have a plant substitute that they use? Or do they have a species of mammals that they milk every once in a while? Fraggle cows. Uh, is... Is... Is the chicken chopped suey? Oh, we vegan? talked about that. We we talked about how that. Thank you for for bringing up the the chicken chopped suey and the stroganoff. Yes, are the other yeah. things that get mentioned specifically in a song. Yeah, and I've been tracking all of the the inconsistencies that arise just from the lyrics. Yeah, lyric canon doesn't count. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Have you wait? Have you done the uh, the thirty minute yep. work week? Yeah. Okay, so you've already talked about Gobo singing about his mother and father. Pappy used to roam, all that stuff. His non-existent parents, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Good. Or I don't know if we talked about it in the Good. podcast, but I definitely talked about it in my episode review for Tough Pigs. Perfect. Yeah, I don't remember talking about that in the podcast, but I also don't remember most things. <laughs> Hi, by the way, I'm Adam. It's nice to meet all of you lovely strangers. <laughs> Anybody else have anything they want to say about the trash heap? I have one other note, but it's more of a joke. So who's throwing away all this trash that makes up the trash heap? Because most of it appears to be at the fraggle human scale, not at the gorg scale, even though it's the gorg's trash heap, presumably. Mm -hmm. So why isn't the trash bigger? Why isn't she bigger? There's a shot in this where you have uh, she and, and Wembley are in the same shot. Like what you see Wembley handing her mm -hmm. the swoop foomer. Yeah, and she also, I mean, for obvious reasons, she never changes sizes because it's the same puppet. You know, they're not going to build a different puppet. But, like, yeah. it would seem like if it is the Gorg's trash or, you know, whoever's trash, that it would change from, like, week to week with, like, just it composting or it being added to mm -hmm. or or whatnot. Unless. Unless. She has a metabolism. <laughs> oh. And slowly digests all of the trash that makes up her body, and that is why she is consistently in need well, of new we, trash. We also don't see her yeah. drinking the milk. By the time we cut to her, she's already crying over the spilt milk, right? And so mm -hmm. the question then is, was she, did she just have some milk and she spilled it and she's crying over it because that's the, you know, phrase that is going to carry through the rest of the episode or was she or was she trying to drink it we don't have that information we don't know and all of the implications are terrifying yeah <laughs> good good fraggle rock all of the implications are terrifying <laughs> fraggle rock it's adorable if you don't think about it too hard basically mm -hmm. what's interesting about marjorie's advice here is that she means it literally and it's totally useless advice literally but it's also useless figuratively the idiom, don't cry over spilt milk, is a way of saying don't sweat the small stuff. But this isn't small. Their friend is trapped in outer space and they may never see him again. Yeah. So this kind of speaks to how most of the bad advice you'll receive in your life, the worst advice you'll ever get, is from people who are minimizing your problems. Ooh. It's people who don't have a freaking clue 
what you're really dealing with, don't care, and insist on repeating trite expressions that oversimplify and dismiss your experiences. Legit. There's some really good skewering of toxic positivity there that I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't they don't even tell her what their problem is. She gives them the advice, like, right before they're about to tell her, and then they scamper off. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. That is yep. fascinating, because I, I always interpreted the phrase, don't cry over spilt milk, to not be like, don't sweat the small stuff, but more like... It's already happened. What are you going to do next? Like, don't cry over the past, which is also terrible advice, because if something bad happens, you need to feel your feelings before you can deal with it. True. Let me Google Yeah, what is the origin of that phrase? Yeah, I've always disliked that saying anyways. I I I just think it's a bad one. Oh, it is. I don't think it's good. So I'm... I've, I've Googled it, and the first thing that's coming up is National Don't Cry Over Spilled Milk Day, which is apparently Why? the Why next the next thing? the next one is February eleventh, twenty twenty four. Oh, we missed Shut it. Up. Mark, Mark my calendars. Your I can't calendars. wait to celebrate. I mean, they definitely talked about this idiom on Schmanners, and I don't remember what they talked about because they've done so many idiom episodes. Ah. Okay, you know what? You you are right about this, and I was wrong. The phrase means that there's no point in being upset over something that has already happened and cannot be changed. Oh, interesting. Um, that's odd, because I was looking it up earlier, and I thought I saw the explanation that I offered. So I'm sure you did. I... Are you saying that there was inconsistent and conflicting information on the internet? Yeah, but yours... Your, yours is the more common take. I, uh, I mean, idioms are not necessarily my strong suit. But in any case, it's not like they can just... It's still terrible advice figuratively. Like, the way, mm-hmm. that, the way that most people would mean that is still bad advice for the situation. Mm-hmm. It's still dismissive and saying, well, mm-hmm. you can't do much about this. And it's like, that, that's not, that's not going to work here. And it's not going to work in most situations. But what I really like about that is... It's setting this template for the way that they thought about how fraggle rock stories would generally work, at least involving the trash heap mm-hmm. early on. I think they changed their approach later, but it used to be a heck of a lot of the trash heap is is a fraud, like a fake psychic type and gives a ton of useless advice. And they try to follow the advice, don't understand it, screw it all up, and yet it works out anyway. And so they think it was all part of the plan. And they, again, assume that she's wise. And everything goes back to normal again. They'll just repeat the cycle over and over again. The ring ends up at the bottom of the sea. Hmm. Same thing over and over. I I love this. I love this idea of what Fraggle Rock is, a show that's so interested in the way that things can be totally meaningless and will make meaning out of them anyway. And, the, and I don't know. There's something kind of fatalistic about the show that I don't know how to feel about. The way that it's just what's what's going to happen is what's going to happen despite all of the characters' actions. And this is one of the best episodes mm. for that. So there are definitely episodes where that is accurate of the role that Marjorie is playing. But I think, especially later on in the series, we get more episodes where she's taking a more active role in like, hey, I see there's a lesson you need to learn here. I'm going to try and help you learn it. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Yep, the show changes its mind, I think, this is my theory, the show changes its mind about Marjorie's role, and she goes from being a silly fraud, a sort of imposter of an oracle, to just being an elder. Yeah. Who may not always be right, but generally has a lot of wise and helpful thoughts. That's the shift that I think happens by the time you get to the end of the first season. 
and I never know how to feel about it. In some ways, I like it. In some ways, I miss the idea of the show's just a bunch of people saying and doing a bunch of stupid things, and somehow, despite them, it all works out. <laughs> I, I don't know. I like both versions of what Fraggle Rock can be. I don't know that they're compatible, but I like both. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that they're not necessarily incompatible, because I think that the show transitions from a bunch of people running around doing things, and it works out anyway, to eventually seeing how they're interconnected and how their actions affect each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it helps to have that first stage. Hmm. Okay. That's a good way to think about it. That's a good, speaking of first stages, did you notice that Moki calls the doozers pesky doozers? Yes. Like uh, they have not figured out who Moki is going to be and how she's have... going to think about the doozers. Well, that's so f- funny because we've already got, we've already had the preachification of convincing John where she rallied for the doozers i i pesky doozers completely i missed it for whatever reason but yeah in the lineup it doesn't make sense because she already went to bat for them and how they should treat the doozers with more kindness and then a couple episodes later she's like oh those pesky doozers yep production order problems Mm-hmm. yep yeah definitely moki also like had also with boober feeling a little no again knowing that this is such an early episode what would have been in the order with boober like being a lot more like on top or at least trying to be on top of things. Moki has a very Wimbly feeling in this episode where she's just like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm going to like sit here and like weigh all of the options. And normally I would assume Wimbly would have more of that role, but he's a lot more proactive as well. So definitely seeing the characters still like finding their footing and trying to figure out what their roles are going to be in the, the entire show's run. Yeah, what this this is playing more into the version of Wembley who doesn't know what he thinks, so he follows along with everybody else. Sure, which we do see quite a bit of that kind of Wembley yeah. as well. But I see what you mean. They could have gone with contemplative Wembley in this, but there's a lot to be said for contemplative Moki. That's true. It's a different kind of contemplation. So they get the advice, they head on back... Uh, and we cut over to Moki contemplating, like we said, and I believe Boober shows up with her as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're they're hanging out, and the Doozers are there with this amazing catapult. We also it is established that the Doozers can talk. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which, if this is a second episode, makes perfect sense. What do you mean? Oh, uh, I don't think we hear the Doozers talk at all in the first episode. I think you're probably right. Specifically in the preachification of convincing John, like. We don't hear them talk until the very end, and it almost feels like a twist hmm. when it's like, "Oh, they can talk. You, just, they can make words. You just didn't ask them things." Yeah, uh, and having them just sort of talk in a normal like situation and scenario feels like a much more organic way to set that up. Cut, cutting back to Doc and Sprocket, Doc, you know, gets the gets his mail, and one of them is the postcard. He also gets two other things in the mail. One is a bill from the party favor company, which I love that. is very good that he's racked <laughs> up such a large bill buying these noisemakers that he is getting billed by the company. Uh, and then he also gets a letter from someone named Kermit. And that brings into question, I, you know, I don't think it's meant to be Kermit the Frog, but it does seem like it's a gentle nod to like, hey, this is something else that we, we do as well. Kermit, y'all know who Kermit is. It's just, just really nice. Yeah, it was cute. Or, or it's a reference or it's to a reference Kermit to Love. Kermit Love, that as well, you know. Or, or it's a reference to Jim Henson's boyhood <laughs> friend Kermit, which a lot of people wrongly say is the namesake for Kermit, for Kermit Love. 
that they wrongly say that Jim Henson's boyhood friend is the namesake for Kermit Love. Right. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's my joke. That's all I got. We, we then go into Uncle Matt's postcard, which is mostly just him talking about parking meters. Yeah. Uh, it is him talking about parking meters and talking wrongly about parking meters and establishing the basic logic of what these postcard segments will do. It's him misunderstanding a lot of things. A lot of misunderstanding. You know, there is a tie to the overall elements of the the episode where he is talking about how they're they're lonely and it makes him in kind like lonely for for Fraggle Rock. Maybe. Sort of. Yeah, and like we get to see Gobo processing like isolation, mm-hmm. so there's a an overall theme of isolation and loneliness. More th- for for me, what uh, I mean, yes, they make that connection explicitly. What's underneath this is the way that the, you see the way that uh, Uncle Matt thinks creatively, or at the very least, imaginatively. He is always going around interpreting things differently and trying to come up with a way to make characters and personalities out of everything he sees. He personifies these inanimate objects, which is, again, the whole darn job of everyone making this show is looking at something that is very much not real and going, those are eyes. Of course, they're not. They're ping pong balls. This whole darn show is ping pong balls that we look at and interpret as eyes and a face. And we're interpreting socks as living beings that can talk and eat. And I mean, we just had a whole conversation about whether or not the trash heap can drink milk. (laughs) And so, of course... Uncle Matt, not knowing what he's looking at, is going to look at these parking meters and think that they have faces and they eat and assume all of these different relationships that they have with the silly creatures, even though they're inanimate objects. Again, I'm probably putting more thought into this than it needs, but again, very basic reflection here on the general ideas that go into making a show like this exist. Yeah, no, I had the same thought that I I just love how Traveling Matt assumes some level of aliveness in the inanimate objects around him. Yeah. Also, I love his little suit. <laughs> just wanted to throw that out it's there. It's so mm-hmm. great. Well. Did they ever use that with him again? I don't remember. Beth? I guess we'll see. I, I don't, I can't think of an instance off the top of my head. I don't think but they it would do. be a. We should keep track of Uncle Traveling Matt's wardrobe if like how often he gets some costume changes so booper and moki's catapult plan now meets red and wembley's magic spell plan and they both go what are you talking about and then we just get both plans being acted out simultaneously Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which i don't know if they discussed that of like well we've got these two plans should we just do them both and, and hope that one of them works or did they argue about it or did they ignore each other? We'll never know. It's all off screen. We'll never know. Indeed, indeed. I I do want to point out a couple of props things. Yeah. Uh, that just tripped me out. One, there's an actual steam whistle on the Doozer truck, and that's amazing. That made me really happy. Um, and two, they actually pour real milk out of a bottle mm-hmm. in a puppet mm-hmm. hand, which means you know they had a bucket right <laughs> under there. Yeah. They, they put a lot of thought into puppet tricks in this. It, it runs throughout the show. It's one of my favorite things about the Muppets. They're very thoughtful about how to make the impossible possible. Yeah. Now, for, for the purposes of my attempt at a unifying theory of this episode, I'm thinking about the catapult and how they got to the idea to use the catapult in the first place, which is the Doozers 
are the only people in this episode who actually can be pragmatic and think about how to solve problems. So, of course, they have something useful. Everybody else in this episode, whether it's Uncle Matt, whether it's Doc, whether it's any of the Fraggles, whether it's the Trash Heap, Philo and Gunge, all <laughs> useless, mm -hmm. completely useless in everything they think and everything they try to do. It's just the Doozers who have a thing that's very useful for its purpose. And the Fraggles kind of stumble into it. It's not the result of any of their plans or what any of them did. Moki didn't arrive at this through pondering. They arrived at it because of sheer chance. It just happens that a rock was flung by this device in their direction, happened to be just what they needed, and that's often how inspiration works. Mm -hmm. It just, just, stuff just kind of happens to you. And so what they have to do is take this thing from the only pragmatic people, and in so doing, they end up getting something that is functional, they end up getting something that solves the problem, but they think it's a ton of different things. And that's what I love about the finale of this episode, is everyone's trying everything at once. They're throwing all of the, uh, these different ideas at the wall, which, again, speaks to the writing process, as you've got a lot of different writers with a ton of different ideas, probably coming up with different scripts, having different notions of the characters, and they're trying to find a way to jam all of it together. And the result is... It's total chaos, because you've got them spilling milk, which, again, seems pretty useless. Mm -hmm. The catapult, which doesn't go as planned, it ends up working, even though, again, the doozers should get all the credit for it, mm -hmm. because it's not like any of their initial plans when they first split up is what led to this point. That's just luck. And, of course, Gobo's trying his magic words, and he thinks that his magic words worked, and Boober takes credit for being the ammunition. <laughs> and this, to me, is really how the problem-solving, or how the creative process usually works. The creative process is a ton of different ideas coming together from a ton of different sources that were thought up in different ways, all these different plans, and the main thing that makes all the difference is just random chance. Mm. It's random chance that gets them their solution. It's ra The way that it unfolds is total random chance with somebody slipping in milk and tripping and tripping at someone else. It just happens. Chaotic stuff just happens. And then they all get the idea that they did it. <laughs> yeah. So is this a story about the importance of teamwork? Sure, it can be that. It can. Be, you can see it as a story about how all of these different people with their different ideas came together and through that combination, you got to the solution of the problem. You got to what they wanted. But realistically, while it is that, it is also a bunch of random stuff just happened to work out well, and so they all took the credit for it. Mm -hmm. And without even thinking about it, came up with a narrative in their heads about how it was the product of their plans, it was the product of their creativity. That's what got them the outcome they wanted. I mean, the logical the logical next step for that for me is looking at this whole, like, all of these different groups of people trying all of these different things, and then all of them taking credit for it. The actual credit should go to the expertise of the people who were constructing and building the tools. Mm -hmm. mm. And that if you're someone watching this and trying to find a lesson for it, and this is at the best I could come up with in terms of a lesson is that you can look for magic words, you can look for other things. What you really want if you're trying to creatively solve a problem is tools that work. That's interesting, and I think you're right, but I also think that it's an episode about how people stumble into the right solutions to the problem, hmm. or get very lucky that someone else has come up with the right solution <laughs> to the problem. And... We all have our narratives that make us think that we're responsible for everything that happens. Mm -hmm. And 
when you look at any creative process, you'll see that whoever is at the forefront of things creatively, like, you know, the director of a movie or TV show or whatever, will get all of the credit when there are a lot of technical people who are figuring out the tools, who are making the tools and figuring out how to run the tools, who will never get as much credit. And whoever gets the credit will have some narrative that it all came out of their brain. Hmm. And maybe they believe it's true. So, yeah, the tools are important. The collaboration is important. But it all just kind of happens. Yeah. Makes sense. I do like that line that, you know, they're, they're each taking credit for it. And then Gobo says, how about that? We rescued me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, yep. yeah, to a certain degree you did. But also don't forget about the doozers. Yeah. But I like, I like this idea that it does hi what the episode highlights is what it isn't saying and what it isn't showing you as much, which is it all kind of comes down to the doozers. And it points to where the rest of the show is going to go, which is they all need each other. All these different species need each other. Maybe they need the doozers. Maybe the fraggles need the doozers more than the, the, more than the doozers need the fraggles. But in any case, it is the interconnectedness of things. Like, yes, it's great that they all have within fraggledom a lot of different diverse approaches to thinking creatively, but they're going to have to learn to expand that more and more to include even more ways of thinking if they're going to get anywhere. Boom. There it is. Alrighty. And then we get a reprise of Feel So Bad that is now Feel So Glad. Yeah. And you know the the song that Doc plays um, on his, his Swoop Fumer contraption at the very end is seemingly the same two chords over and over as Feel So Glad. Which also, can we just give the props department... Ah. Uh, uh, I going to say give them props. <laughs> yep. But it's amazing. Props to the props department. Absolutely. Because, like, you could tell they had a blast with each of those contraptions. Yeah. So all around this episode is very much about praising the people who make the contraptions. Hey. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. So a tribute to Faz Fazakas. Absolutely. Let's call it that. Yeah. One of these days when we get a doozer-centric episode, I definitely want to do a little focus on Faz Fazakas. Good. I look forward to it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, JD, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like we never would have gotten to that depth of analysis with just the three of us. I was really hoping someone else got this episode better than I did because I was like, ah, there's more here than I'm understand. It's like a They Might Be Giant song. I'm like, I know this is on purpose. I just don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, here's the thing. I'm not good at many things, but I'm good at thinking about Fraggle Rock a lot. <laughs> Boom. This is the one thing that I can do is just think and think and think about Fraggle Rock until I get somewhere with it. Is it the right somewhere? I don't know. But it's an interesting somewhere to me. And much like with Doc and his weird device, as long as it's fun for me, I'm having a good time. I'll just say I had a great time doing this episode. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real yeah, treat to be here. On. Thank you so much for coming. So how, how, Beth, how should we make the world a little fragglier based on this episode? Come back to me. I forgot to think of one. I forgot to think of one, too. That's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> oh do I get you, to go you first can, this you time? Go for it. Um, oh, God, I have too many. I'm going to just go with... Uh, Hold your hands out and hope a rock appears there. <laughs> I mean, I think you all know my answer for how to make the world a little fragglier. Am I saying that word right? Uh, well, we made it up, so yes. Oh, great. Perfect. Well, speaking of made up names for things. <laughs> oh, it's barely working now. Basically, make random music whenever you can. It's the best way to process your feelings. Just don't forget what you meant to do before you started making music. <laughs> Oh, that's very good advice, actually. Really Heck yes. Oh, never forget your lucky orange socks. There you go. 
That's a good one. That's what I've got. If you spill some milk, you you go ahead and cry if you need to. Mm. You just you just take a minute and be like, oh man, <laughs> that was the last of it, and I was really looking forward to that bowl of Lucky Charms, and now I gotta eat something else, and it's not gonna be Lucky Charms, and oh, that just stinks. And if you if something bad happens and you need to cry, you go ahead and cry, and then you clean up the spilled milk. <laughs> Milk is more expensive now. I don't know how expensive it was when this episode was made, but it's a lot more expensive now. So absolutely, if you need to cry over spilt milk, by all means. In this economy, cry all you want. (laughs) Crying's free for now. (laughs) (laughs) Crying's free for now. For now. Boss makes a dollar. I make a dime. That's why I cry uncontrollably on company time. JD, you got anything you want to plug? Sure. I'll plug, well, toughpigs.com. That's where most of my writings about Muppets and Fraggles are. I don't know what'll be out by the time you hear this, but probably something. I'm always coming up with something. I've got a few interesting things in the work, in the works, but I know you can always look back on my article about the Fraggle economy. Yes. Which Hmm. is one of the most fun things I have ever written. Depressing? Absolutely. I tried my best to ruin Fraggle Rock for you, and yet somehow I've come out at the end of it still having a pretty good time whenever I watch this show. I guess that's my only plug. Oh, and you can find me uh, at JD11PC on Twitter if you want to listen to any of my Twitter spaces where I chat with my Muppet fan friends about Muppet fan things. Fantastic. JD, I'm so glad you and I made it onto the Tough Pig staff at around the same time so that we can talk too much about Fraggles together. I love that. <laughs> it's great. Very important. Yeah, you can find me at Beth Anna Cook on social media. That's Anna with two N's. And uh, writing for Tough Pigs every once in a while. You can find me at Geek Girl Grown Up on Instagram and Twitter. JuliaGaskell.com is where I talk about my poetry and also find me on Tough Pigs occasionally. I cannot be found. Do not attempt to find me. I do not wish to be perceived. <laughs> All right. That is it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And, uh, uh damn. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, brain shutting down. No, I leave it in. I really like, thanks so much for listening. And, uh, 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 yeah, you get it. Uh, I've been saying leave us a good review, but that only works if we're on a separate channel. So I'm not, I'm going to stop saying that until we know if we have leave a separate channel Leave us a good review, not. but graffiti it somewhere. <laughs> there you go. Graffiti it onto an overpass or like the front window of a McDonald's. Oh, I was going to say on a bank. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> for what it's worth. Tough Pigs does not actually endorse doing anything that could get you into jail or get you into any legal Thank trouble. Thank you. We always got to give this those disclaimers. This is not an advice podcast. I am, in fact, not giving you real, actual advice. Yeah, I well, am legally accountable. exaggerating for the purposes of comedy. Do not listen to us. Never listen to anything we say. We're like early <laughs> season one trash heap. <laughs> Perfect. There it is. So get permission from whoever owns the overpass before you graffiti the review. There we go. Okay, we're good. That's all that we needed. We're good now. Joe the Legal Weasel will approve this now. I, I own every overpass that I give you blanket permission. No! Oh, okay. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time down at Fraggle Talk. Don't forget to dance your cares away! No! Down at Fraggle Talk. <laughs> Fraggle Talk Classic is brought to you by ToughPigs.com. 
Fraggle Talk Art by Dave Hultine Jr. The Fraggle Rock mark and logo, characters, and elements are trademarks of the Jim Henson Company. All rights reserved. The Fraggle Rock theme song, written by Philip Balsam and Dennis Lee, is used with permission. Special thanks to the Jim Henson Company and the entire Fraggle Rock family. For more from Tough Pigs, please find us at Tough Pigs on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, TeePublic, and Patreon. Fraggle Talk Classic is produced and edited by me, Beth Cook. Thank you to Joe Hennis, the Tough Pigs Muppet Fan Podcast executive producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Down at Fraggle Talk. The next one is February 11th, Oh boy, I can't wait. Oh, we missed Shut it. Up. Mark, Mark, my calendar's a can't wait to celebrate. Mark, my calendar. Mark, Mark, I have to write something down. Get me my calendar.